Book One, Chapters Seventeen and Eighteen of the Blue Lagoon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Adrian Pretzelis. The Blue Lagoon by H. De Vere Stackpool. Chapter Seventeen, The Devil's Cask. One morning, about a week after the day on which the old sailor, to use his own expression, had bent a skirt on Emmeline. Dick came through the woods and across the sands running. He had been on the hilltop. "'Paddy!' he cried to the old man who was fixing a hook on a fishing-line. "'There's a ship!' It did not take Mr. Button long to reach the hilltop, and there she was, beating up for the island, bluff-bowed and squat, the figure of an old Dutchwoman, and telling of her trade a league off. It was just after the rains. The sky was not yet clear of clouds. You could see showers away at sea, and the sea was green and foam-capped. There was the trying-out gear. There were the boats, the crow's nest, and all complete, and labelling her a whaler. She was a ship, no doubt. But Paddy Button would as soon as gone on board a ship manned by devils and captained by Lucifer as on board a South Sea whaleman. He had been there before, and he knew. He hid the children under a large banyan, and told them not to stir or breathe till he came back, for the ship was the devil's own ship, and if the men on board caught them they'd skin them alive and all. Then he made for the beach. He collected all the things out of the wigwam, and all the old truck in the shape of boots and old clothes, and stowed them away in the dinghy. He would have destroyed the house if he could, but he hadn't time. Then he rowed the dinghy a hundred yards down the lagoon to the left, and moored her under the shade of an aoa, whose branches grew right over the water. Then he came back through the coconut grove on foot, and peered through the trees over the lagoon to see what was to be seen. The wind was blowing dead on for the opening in the reef, and the old whaleman came along breasting the swell with her bluff bows, and entered the lagoon. There was no leadsman in her chains. She just came in as if she knew all the soundings by heart, as probably she did for these whalemen knew every hole and corner in the Pacific. The anchor fell with a splash, and she sprung to it, making a strange enough picture as she floated on the blue mirror, backed by the graceful palm-tree on the reef. Then Mr. Button, without waiting to see the boats lowered, made back to his charges, and the three camped in the woods that night. The next morning the whaleman was off and away, leaving as a token of her visit the white sand all trampled, an empty bottle, half an old newspaper, and the wigwam torn to pieces. The old sailor cursed her and her crew, for the incident had brought a new exercise into his lazy life. Every day now at noon he had to climb the hill, on the lookout for whalemen. Whaleman hunted his dreams, though I doubt he willingly have gone on board even a Royal Mail steamer. He was quite happy where he was, 
After long years of the forecastle, the island was a change indeed. He had tobacco enough to last him for an indefinite time, the children for companions, and food at his elbow. He would have been entirely happy if the island had only been supplied by nature with a public-house. The spirit of hilarity and good-fellowship, however, who suddenly discovered this error on the part of nature, rectified it, as will be presently seen. The most disastrous result of the whaleman's visit was not the destruction of the house, but the disappearance of Emmeline's box. Hunt high or hunt low, it could not be found. Mr. Button, in his hurry, must have forgotten it when he removed the things to the dinghy. At all events, it was gone. Probably one of the crew of the whalemen had found it and carried it off with him. No one could say. It was gone, and there was the end of the matter, and the beginning of a great tribulation that lasted Emmeline for a week. She was intensely fond of coloured things, coloured flowers especially, and she had the prettiest way of making them into a wreath for her own or someone else's head. It was the hat-making instinct that was at work in her, perhaps. At all events it was a feminine instinct, for Dick made no wreaths. One morning, as she was sitting by the old sailor, engaged in stringing shells, Dick came running along the edge of the grove. He had just come out of the wood, and he seemed to be looking for something. Then he found what he was in search of—a big shell, and with it in his hand made back to the wood. Item. His dress was a piece of coconut cloth tied round his middle. Why he wore it at all, goodness knows, for he would just as often as not be running about stark naked. "'I've found something, Paddy,' he cried, as he disappeared among the trees. "'What have you found?' piped Emmeline, who was always interested in new things. "'Something funny,' came back from amidst the trees. Presently he returned, but he was not running now. He was walking, slowly and carefully, holding the shell as if it contained something precious that he was afraid would escape. Paddy, I turned over the old barrel, and it had a cork thing in it, and I pulled it out, and the barrel is full of awfully funny-smelling stuff. I brought some for you to see." He gave the shell into the old sailor's hands. There was about half a gill of yellow liquid in the shell. Paddy smelt it, tasted, and gave a shout. "'Rom, "'What is it, Paddy?' asked Emmeline. "'Where did you say you got it? In the old barrel, did you say?' asked Mr. Button, who seemed dazed and stunned as if by a blow. "'Yes, I pulled the cork thing out. Did you put it back?' "'Yes.' "'Oh, glory to God! Here have I been, time out of mind, sitting in an old empty barrel, with me tongue hanging down by me heels for the want of a drink, and it full of rum all the while." He took a sip of the stuff, tossed the lot off, closed his lips tight to keep in the fumes, and shut one eye. Emmeline laughed. Mr. Button scrambled to his feet. 
They followed him through the chaparral till they reached the water-source. There lay the little green barrel. Turned over by the restless dick, it lay with its bung pointing to the leaves above. You could see the hollow it had made in the soft soil during the years. So green was it, and so like an object of nature, a bit of old tree-bowl, or a lichen-stained boulder, that, though the whaleman had actually watered from the source, its real nature had not been discovered. Mr. Button tapped on it with the butt-end of the shell. It was nearly full. Why it had been left there, by whom or how, there was no one to tell. The old lichen-covered skulls might have told, could they have spoken. "'We'll roll it down the beach,' said Paddy, when he had taken another taste of it. He gave Dick a sip. The boy spat it out and made a face. Then, pushing the barrel before them, they began to roll it downhill to the beach, Emmeline running before them, crowned with flowers. End of chapter 17 Chapter 18 The Rat Hunt They had dinner at noon. Paddy knew how to cook fish, island fashion, wrapping them in leaves and baking them in a hole in the ground in which a fire had been previously lit. They had fish and taro-root baked, and green coconuts, and after dinner Mr. Button filled a big shell with rum and lit his pipe. The rum had been good originally, and age had improved it. Used as he was to the appalling balloon-juice sold in the drinking dens of the Barbary Coast at San Francisco, or the public houses of the docks, this stuff was nectar. Joviality radiated from him. It was infectious. The children felt that some happy influence had fallen upon their friend. Usually after dinner he was drowsy and wishful to be quiet. Today he told them stories of the sea, and sang them songs, shanties. I'm a flying fish sailor, come back from Hong Kong. Yeah, oh, blow the moon down, blow the moon down, bullies, blow the moon down. Oh, give us time to blow the moon down. You're a dirty black baller, come back from New York. You blow the man down, blow the man down, bullies, blow the man down. Oh, give us some time to blow the man down. Oh, give us time to blow the man down, echoed Dick and Emmeline. Up above in the trees, the bright-eyed birds were watching them. Such a happy party! They had all the appearance of picnickers, and the song echoed amongst the coconut trees, and the wind carried it over the lagoon to where the seagulls were wheeling and screaming, and the foam was thundering on the reef. That evening Mr. Button, feeling inclined for joviality, and not wishing the children to see him under the influence, rolled the barrel through the coconut grove to a little clearing by the edge of the water. There, when the children were in bed and asleep, he repaired with some green coconuts and a shell. He was generally musical when amusing himself in this fashion, 
and Emmeline, waking up during the night, heard his voice borne through the moonlit coconut grove by the wind. There was five or six old drunken sailors standing before the bar, and Larry he was serving them from the big five-gallon jar. Hoist up the flag, long may it wave, long may it lead us to the glory or the grave. Steady, boys, steady, sound the jubilee, for Babylon has fallen and the slaves are all set free. Next morning the musician awoke beside the cask. He had not a trace of a headache or any bad feeling, but he made Dick do the cooking, and he lay in the shade of the coconut trees with his head on a pillow made out of an old coat rolled up, twiddling his thumbs, smoking his pipe, and discoursing about the old days, half to himself and half to his companions. That night he had another musical evening all to himself, and so it went on for a week. Then he began to lose his appetite and sleep, and one morning Dick found him sitting on the sand looking very queer indeed, as well he might, for he had been seeing things since dawn. "'What is it, Paddy?' said the boy, running up, followed by Emmeline. Mr. Button was staring at a point on the sand close by. He had his right hand raised after the manner of a person who is trying to catch a fly. Suddenly he made a grab at the sand, and then opened his hand wide to see what he had caught. "'What is it, Paddy?' "'Ah, the chloricon,' replied Mr. Button. "'All dressed in green he was. Ah, musha, musha, but it's only pretending I am.' The complaint from which he was suffering has this strange thing about it, that, though the patient sees rats or snakes or what not, as real-looking as the real things, and though they possess his mind for a moment, almost immediately he recognises that he is suffering from a delusion. The children laughed, and Mr. Button laughed in a stupid sort of way. Uh, sure, it was only a game I was playing. There was no chloricon at all. It's when I drink rum it puts into me head to play games like that. Oh, by the holy poker, there's red rats coming out of the sand." He got on his hands and knees and scuttled off towards the coconut trees, looking over his shoulder with a bewildered expression on his face. He would have risen to fly, only he dared not stand up. The children laughed and danced round him as he crawled. "'Look at the rats, Paddy! Look at the rats!' cried Dick. "'They're, they're in front of me!' cried the afflicted one, making a vicious grab at an imaginary rodent's tail. "'Ran down the buses! Now they're gone! Musha, but it's a fool I'm making of meself!' "'Go on, Paddy,' said Dick. "'Don't stop. Look, there! There's more rats coming after you!' "'Ah, oh, wished, would you?' replied Paddy, taking his seat on the sand and wiping his brow. "'They're off me now!' The children stood by, disappointed of their game. 
Good acting appeals to children as much as to grown-up people. They stood waiting for another excess of humour to take the comedian, and they had not to wait long. A thing like a flayed horse came out of the lagoon and up on the beach, and this time Button did not crawl away. He got on his feet and ran. "'It's a horse that's after me, Dick! Dick, hit him with a scalp! Dick, Dick, drive him away!' "'Hurroo! Hurroo!' cried Dick, chasing the afflicted one, who was running in a wide circle, his broad red face slewed over his left shoulder. "'Go it, Paddy! Go it, Paddy!' "'Keep off me, you bast!' shouted Paddy. "'Holy Mary, Mother of God! I'll land you a kick with me foot if you's come nigh me. Emlyn, Emlyn, come between us!' He tripped, and over he went on the sand, the indefatigable Dick beating him with a little switch he had picked up to make him continue. I, "'I'm better now, but I'm near war out.' said Mr. Button, sitting up on the sand. But, bedad, if I'm chased by any more things like them, it's into the sea I'll be dashing. Dick, lend me your arm." He took Dick's arm and wandered over to the shade of the trees. Here he threw himself down and told the children to leave him to sleep. They recognised that the game was over and left him, and he slept for six hours on end. It was the first real sleep he had had for several days. When he awoke he was well, but very shaky. End of chapter 18 the man down. Give us some time to blow the man down.